Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Nikki C, and welcome to another episode of Life Got in the Way, a podcast that is dedicated to growing, learning, and achieving our lifelong goals. Today's special guest is Leticia of Black Rose Coaching. Leticia, the recipient of the Global Women of Choice Award in 2020 for Mindset Transformation. Leticia is a business mindset coach dedicated to supporting Black women with getting their mind right so that they can see the success and the fulfillment they desire. Originally from Bermuda, Leticia now lives in the UK with her husband and kids and runs her company, Black Rose Coaching. All right, everyone, you ready to learn and to hear more about Leticia? All right, let's go. that you could join us thank you so much for having me today yes 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 so before we begin um everyone always has a on this podcast they have a story and one of the things that is most important about this podcast is everyone just having an opportunity to tell their story for listeners to you know learn something from their story to gain um um, a better understanding of their self, to gain better understanding of the people who come on to the podcast, and to kind of talk about how life got in the way. And so everyone's story is different. So I would love to hear your story, and I'm sure the listeners would as well. So I'm going to give you, turn over the uh, microphone to you and let you tell your story a little bit. Okay. And uh, we'll start from there. Okay, sounds good to me. Hello, everyone. I am originally from Bermuda. I was born and raised in Bermuda. And at the age of seven, I was told by a family member um, that my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. And that messed me up. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, that shaped the way that I thought about myself for nearly 30 years, actually. And it began a journey of no way, <laughs> like literally no way events in my life. Um, both parents remarried. Both of my parents' spouses made it known that they really didn't want anything to do with me. So I was pretty much going through life in between two family units, not really ever feeling welcomed. Like my external family, like aunts and uncles, always loving. But when you don't really feel like you're getting the attention that you want or need from your parents, it messes you up. And I spent a lot of time looking for attention and validation from people, which led me to getting into a relationship with a man that was twice my age at 14. I was using that relationship to really get out of being at home. And because my mom had young children, I kind of got away with a lot. So as a 14-year-old, I was coming in at 11 o'clock from school, 11 o'clock p.m. from school, and it really wasn't overly pushed. I wasn't punished for it. I wasn't disciplined for it. So I used this relationship to get out of my home life. Like it was a solace for me. It was an escape. When my mom found out about this man, because Bermuda is a very small place, it is an environment where, you know, you're neighbors know more about your business than you do so she found out mm -hmm. about him very quickly she did a background check and she learned that all of his relationships ended in 
restraining order. Like, he had a history oh of restraining orders. So she warned me about him. She was like, listen, this guy is dangerous. You you know, you need to be careful. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know she was blocking, you know, at that. I don't have the mm -hmm. best relationship with her. So this is my, this is my boo. And you're trying to come between that. I, I'm not listening to you. And I think that created a sense of needing to hide my relationship. So now I'm going to sneak around seeing this man, you know, because I don't want people to run back and tell my mama what I'm doing. So like I'm out 14, out in clubs, um, you know, living a life as if I'm the same age as this 28 year old. And mm -hmm. when I was 15, he choked me. He got jealous of someone that I went to school with and he choked me. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I had enough sense to know, mm -mm, this is not yeah. what life's about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially if he has a history. Yeah. So I ended the relationship. I packed the things that I had in his at his house into a trash bag and I left. And I didn't have any communication with him for months. But the problem was now I am having to be home because I spent hours with this man. I'm angry at the fact that I don't have an escape anymore. Like if I had to describe myself during this time, I would say I was like a volcano. You said something to me, I absolutely erupted. So being in my house with my my mama and my, my mama's husband, because I don't call him my stepdad, um... It was volatile, emotionally volatile. And I remember there was a point where I had gotten into an argument with my mother's husband. And I say, you know what? I should just kill myself. I should just kill myself. And he called my sisters into the kitchen. He called my mama into the kitchen and was like, she says she's going to kill herself. So let's watch him do it. Like he literally made a mockery what? of me. Oh no. So I took a handful of pills, a leave, and I ran out of the house. And my mom came after me. You know, she was very angry. Like, why would you do this? Why would you try to take your own life? But my thought process was, why did you let your husband sit there and mock me like it was a joke? You know, I was angry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spent years after that in psychiatric outpatient evaluation because of course i'm the problem of course there's something wrong with me no one's addressing the emotional neglect that i experience no one's addressing the psychological pain that i have feeling unaccepted by my parents after that incident i ended up getting into a fight with my mother and she essentially was like you gotta go live with your daddy so I went live with my daddy for a couple of months and he came back to me shortly you know after being there for a short period of time and told me that his wife didn't want to raise another child so I had to go back and live with my mama oh my so I had to go back to the house where I committed suicide try to commit suicide and live in that toxicity. Okay. So the anger got worse. It, it absolutely got worse during that period. And I ended up getting into a physical altercation with my mother around the age of 17. That physical altercation resulted in me essentially getting a restraining order. I was received a letter from my mom's lawyer telling me that I was no longer allowed on her property. And if I returned... I would be removed by the police. I had a certain amount of time to get out of the house. And as you can imagine, I've I'm now hit my mama. That story has spread like wildfire. So my supportive external family are no longer that supportive. I'm the angry teenager that needs to get my life together. So I'm essentially homeless. I don't have anywhere to go. And I call this man that I had been in a relationship with 
and told them, I was like, listen, I need a place to stay. Can you at least, you know, let me stay at your house for a little while? And he took me in so gracefully. However, that came at a mm. price. You know, he reminded me on a daily basis that no one loved me enough to put a roof over my head. Um, he reminded me that he must love me more than my parents because he's actually the one that cares about me. And it, it you heard that enough, it, it wears you down. I've always been a strong personality. I've always been a person that was a rage against the mas- machine type energy, non-conformist. And here I was having to comply, having to be complicit. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't have a roof over my head. So I did it. And I, I continued in this relationship. I married him when I was 19. When I married him, the abuse that I experienced was unbelievable. Because he felt as if I was his property. I went through years of beatings and being threatened to be set on fire. He used to hang nooses around the house and act like he was going to hang me. And during that time, I was working in law enforcement. And whenever I tell people what I had experienced, they always ask me, well, why didn't you use the resources that you had in front of you to get out of that situation? Here's the problem with that. I am from a (laughs) shoebox and I Mm -hmm. saw how cruel the police were, right? They used to laugh about people's Mm -hmm. misfortunes, gossip about people's business. And I saw that firsthand. So why would I put myself in that position to have my business spread, not only amongst the police. I wasn't working for police at that time. I was working for customs. But it spread around the police, but also spread around my department. Like, I couldn't let that happen, especially with my kind of personality. Like, I'm a no-nonsense chick, right? And Mm -hmm. that's who I was at work. That was the only place I really had control of that. So it probably was harsher than... It could have, it needed to be. So how do I go from this persona that I am putting on at work to going home and being beaten, right? Right, definitely. I'm going to lose my credibility in my mind. This is what I'm thinking. I'm going to, people are not going to respect me. They're going to judge me. They're going to talk about me. I was living in shame because it's not like I didn't know. Like, listen, there are people who are being abused that really don't have the awareness that what they are experiencing is abuse. I can acknowledge Mm -hmm. that. I wasn't that person. I knew that I didn't deserve what was happening to me. I knew that this is not what a relationship looked like, but I couldn't get out. I was terrified of what that looked like. I'm in my early, late teens, early 20s. What does that look like for me? I've never lived alone. I've never been financially responsible. Like, what am I supposed to do if I walk away from this relationship? So I put up with it. I remember wanting to go to university and I had a conversation with him about that and he was adamant that that was not going to happen. One thing about me, I am like, (laughs) I I call myself an educational junkie. I love to be educated. If I could be a professional student, sign me up. Like, no. (gasps) (laughs) We should start a school. Yes, girl. Listen. I mean, I just love to be educated. So I think that was the first time that I realized that he was holding me back. And I became resentful of that. So I dealt with that by seeking attention from other people, other men. And one night, one of my friends called me on my landline. I could not find myself in. So she called me on my landline. We had this very long conversation and she was telling me about how she was in an abusive relationship. Like she was literally laying it on. Like, you know, with this guy, this is what he's doing to me. He's on um, heroin. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. And let me tell you, I had 
every answer for her. Like, you know, like, mm. I was that friend. Let me tell you what you're going to do, okay? <laughs> but I couldn't take my own advice. I couldn't take my own advice. That night, I it's in order to encourage her, I randomly picked up a book. It was called Until Today by Yann Lovenzant. It was a daily devotional. And I randomly opened the book to a page and it was talking about the reason why our interpersonal relationships often fail or struggle. We sh- often struggle with our interpersonal relationships is because people are in our reason in our lives for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. And oftentimes, we are trying to keep someone in our life that was only meant to be there for a reason. And that's why there's so much discord in that relationship because they're not meant to be there. So I'm sitting mm-hmm. there reading this to my friend. And girl, when I say I felt like a sinner in church, I was like, uh-huh. Ooh, I'm in my feelings with the this hypocrisy. One. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It was significant that I read that that night because several hours later, my husband came home. He was drunk and he had my cell phone that I couldn't find. In the cell phone oh. were text messages from another man, and he was infuriated. So, after years of abuse, you can absolutely know if. What is about to happen is going to be something like he's going to slap me and go sleep. Or this is going to be like an all night thing. I knew. I just knew in my spirit. Like, it's no other way to describe. I just knew that I needed to get out of that house that night. I I ran to the landline. I called my mama. And I was like, listen, you got to come get me right now. You got to come get me. He ripped the landline out of the wall. He told me. The only way that I'm leaving there tonight is in a body bag. Oh my goodness. He barricaded me in a room and all I can say is that it was like an outer body experience. I felt like I was watching myself fight this man. He had a knife and I remember the knife coming towards me. Like I, I can I can still see that. But I never processed any pain. I never processed. I, like, I didn't know what was going on in that. It was like a lot, just commotion. I didn't actually realize this man had stabbed me. We were living with somebody. And that person had come home in the middle of our chaos and broke into the barricaded room that we were in. So I ran out and I ran into the living room. I fell on the couch. And he charged after me. He straddled me on the couch and was still trying to stab me. And he, while I was on the couch, like, like it, it was an absolute miracle that he did not stab me. Like, I know this is not even funny and I know I'm laughing, but the only way that I can describe it was like it was a matrix moment. Like I was just a nanosecond ahead of his moves. Like, you know, mm-hmm. his friend, however, was like, this is too much, like, you gotta go, Tisha. Like, you, you gotta go. And I was literally kicked out of the house. So it's like, I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning. I don't even know if my mom is coming. I don't have any shoes on. Like, where am I going? Where where am I going right now? And still not processed that I'm being stabbed. Oh, no. So I'm standing outside. I'm starting to feel cool. But I feel this heat, like, just running down my body. And I think that's when I realized that Oh, wait a minute, I'm bleeding, like, and I'm bleeding a lot, <laughs> but still no pain. So I'm not, I, I, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I really can't tell you how long I was outside, but my mom actually listened and she came and she pulled up into the yard. And when he realized that someone was outside to get me, he started throwing all of my clothes and stuff outside. Like, oh, you're leaving? Go. Like, you know? And so I'm trying to pack things into the car like you know my mom's like what's going on like she sees the blood she you know one of the things that he used to do was buy me Louis Vuitton to apologize for the abuse that I endured and I think at 21 you're you know Louis Vuitton like and it's not from like Canal Street mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah it's a it's real the thing, real thing. like I'm important in his haste and in his anger, he started throwing out the Louis Vuittons out the window. So when I saw that, I'm like, okay, 
we're gonna get them Louis Vuittons and I'm trying to like hide them in the car. He realized he threw those Louis Vuittons outside. He comes outside with the knife and starts unpacking the car to try to get these bags. And I was ready to fight for my bags, okay? That, that was my mentality then. Like, didn't matter. Mm -hmm. I needed those Louis Vuittons. And I think what made me realize how much danger I was in was my mama screaming, you know, like just the chaos. So I let him take the bags and I got in the car and I left. Immediately my mom was like, we're gonna go to the hospital. You know, we're gonna go to the hospital. And I was like, nope, there's no way I'm going to the hospital because I knew if I went to the hospital, the police would be called. I, for years, had been documenting the evidence of my abuse with my doctor for years and I didn't tell anybody. So my thought process was, I'll just go to the doctor in the morning. He can document this and I can go on with my life. So I went to my mom's house and tried to figure out what, you know, what's what I'm going to do next because like I don't have a uniform for work. I'm due at work in a couple of hours. You know, we managed to stop the bleeding. Oh, you're still thinking about yeah, work. Yeah, like I just, I, my day had to go mm -hmm. on, right? 90 minutes into me trying to, get my life together at my mom's house she comes into the kitchen and she was like so what are you gonna do because you can't stay here <laughs> so essentially I called around to a women's resource center and they told me to go to a police station and the police would escort me to a homeless shelter without any questions and that's what I did my mama packed me up took me to the police station and dropped me off. And I lived in a homeless shelter for two months until I had enough money to get an apartment for myself. So I'm um, at this age, 21, 22, I, I literally cannot remember exactly how old I was, but 21, 22 in that range, right? Um, I'm thinking the relationship's over. Life is just gonna magically get better. Get better. Mm -hmm. But for the first time, I was faced with the reality that I didn't even know who I was. My identity to this point had been, been tied to my interpersonal relationships, right? So if I had described myself to someone, I would tell them I am someone's daughter or I'm someone's wife. I don't have a relationship with people. No, I don't have a husband. I, I don't really have a relationship with my parents. I'm resentful that my mama literally just dropped me off to the police station, right? Like, I'm resentful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so who am I? I essentially was a woman who allowed a man to beat on her for years. And I was ashamed of that. I was also a woman who got married and now is getting a divorce. I was ashamed of that. I felt like at 21, 22, I was throwing my entire life away, right? Like this is all I know. And this is what this is what has come out of this. So that resulted in years of drinking. Years. Like, and I'm not talking about wine coolers and ciders and anything like that. I was drinking bottles of scotch. I was walking around with a flask of scotch everywhere I went. My co-workers used to think it was funny that they would have to leave a can of Altoids at my car searching counter to make sure that my the people that I was searching <laughs> didn't see that I was actually drunk like I wasn't I wasn't going work with a mm -hmm. hangover I was going work still drunk my hangover kicking in three o'clock in the afternoon where I'm, I got a break so I could fix that with something else to drink right and that became my cycle for years. And in, in, in that cycle, I became very promiscuous because I was out late at night. I, it was like, no holds bar. This is life. Let's just have fun. But after a while, I kind of realized mm, this is not me. You know, I didn't actually like being drunk. And I most certainly didn't like to taste the scotch. So why am I doing this? Why? So... I had made a decision like, okay, now this is like almost 10 years since I said that I wanted to go back to university. I wanted to go to university. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do that. So I packed up my stuff and I moved to Atlanta and I went to Georgia State University. And like life was 
going well. You know, I had gotten full okay. scholarships. I was making more money as a student than I was mm-hmm. working <laughs> at a, a government job. So I made the wow. most of that, right? I had amazing opportunities. Mm-hmm. I was I was due to work in Switzerland with a company that gave me a scholarship. Like, life was looking great. And then I met this guy. Oh, there's the guy. So, it begins. I, coming from a small town, small community, there is this, as a non-American, there is definitely this sense that it's scary to date because you don't, you can't, do the research that you need to do. Like if I'm dating in Bermuda, I literally can call three people and get the guy's entire life story before I have an opportunity to reply to his tax, right? In the States, nearly impossible. And it scared me actually, because you hear these stories of people being in relationships with murderers and you, you, you just like, you literally don't know people. So I was conscious and cautious. But I fell very fast Mm. for this guy. He was a DJ. He lived in nightlife. And I'm not that person. Like, I'm a homebody. (laughs) Like, legit. Little homebody. I don't even... That life is over. And (laughs) so, yeah, go do your thing. (laughs) I'm in school studying. You know, I got to maintain grades. So, it just works. But I became aware that he had a cocaine problem. He like admitted to me that he used cocaine, like he snorted cocaine and he justified it because he was a DJ, right? So like, I'm up all day at night, it keeps me awake, like, but I realized after moving in with him, (laughs) it was a everyday thing. And- Oh, yeah. um, Because I was naive to addiction, I was manipulated out of thousands of dollars to the point where I literally had nothing. There was one Christmas we were in darkness. No heat, no light, no food, no furniture because everything came from Ranasana and he didn't pay. So they came and took everything. And I, crazy enough, had my own apartment, which was paid for. But I made the decision to stay there on Christmas. No food, no heat, no lights. It snowed that year. (laughs) It was cold. And I'm an island girl, Mm. right? But I stuck it out. Mm -hmm. The following summer, I went home to work. And I decided, my birthday is in July. So I decided I'm going to surprise him by flying back and celebrating my birthday. And I flew back to the apartment that I was paying for for him to meet his wife. (laughs) Oh, what? What? I had been with this man nearly three years and lived with him for at least two of those years and had no idea that he had another family. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say another family. He had a family. I was the side chick. Let's just keep it real, right? So... Mm -hmm. (sighs) I'm faced with doing my master's degree because this was the year that I was due to graduate. Do I do my master's degree because the only reason why I was staying out here was to be with him or do I go back to Bermuda? So I went back to Bermuda. I got a nice job in insurance. I was a catastrophe model of Hermes 14 years, but that's part of my story I'll get back to. Um, mm-hmm. And I was really focused on building myself in my career. I was doing really well. Can you guess what comes next? And then I meet this guy. I get to <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so men have a way of getting in that way. Exactly. Before about two weeks before I met this man, I had been telling one of my friends who is like really into the law of attraction and stuff about feeling a little lonely and you know, but I've had the worst experience with men. Like, you know, I got to do this right this time. So she had told me to write down everything that I wanted from a guy and just list it out and manifest it. 
So two weeks later, I meet this guy. And the only thing that wasn't on my list of 45, he ticked. The only thing he didn't tick was the height. So like, I'm almost six foot. I wanted like a six foot eight man, you know? Eh, I'm mm-hmm. looking for a unicorn there, really. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> all the questions, <laughs> all 48 <laughs> points <laughs> need to meet all of them. <laughs> But no, everything about this guy was exactly what I was looking for. He had a great sense of humor. He was very present. Like, you know how you meet some people and they aren't present? Like, they kind of make you feel like Mm -hmm. you're invisible. But you know what I mean? Like, he was just present. He was funny. He was charismatic. He cooked. He cleans. He just caters to me. He made me feel amazing. And the fresh air of the relationship was just like fairy tale. Like... Is this real kind of thing? No, no issues, honestly, no issues. And then one of his family members died. He had mentioned to me um, that when I had told him about my ex, that he had dabbled with crack at one point in time. And it was something that kind oh. of, I, I paid attention. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when this family member died, that was the immediate thing that came to mind because like, if you haven't used, this is the time you're going to use because it's the easiest way to help you grieve. And in one sense, mm-hmm. I was understanding, right? Not accepting, but understanding. But I immediately noticed mm-hmm. a change in his behavior. And because I had literally lived three years of this, <laughs> I knew what it was, right? So I confronted him about it. I told him that there was no way that I was going to do what I did for the last three years. Like, I I don't have the capacity for it. So, it's either he does something about it or I'm out. Like, I, I can't do it. Right. Which, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best decision. I probably should have just left. Because giving someone an ultimatum, <laughs> especially a drug addict, an ultimatum, they're just going to hide. Like... That's a reality. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did. He hid. I spent a couple of months trying to get him rehab. And in that process, I met this woman who was a coach. And I remember her saying to me, "Um, sis, I just can look at you and see how broken you are. And I want to help you. And I was like, girl, I'm all right. (laughs) I'm not the one with the problem. Okay? Like, I'm Mm. good. My boyfriend's behavior escalated quickly he was stealing from his job he was a chef he was stealing expensive cuts of meat from his job to fund his drug habit and in that process I didn't know I literally didn't know because he as a chef also used to cater on the side so was it abnormal to see cuts of meat in my freezer no because that that was what he was doing but I did notice that there was more meat coming into the house. One day he called me. I was on a job conference and he said, listen, I need you to go pick up something from my job, which I had done a hundred times over the course of our relationship. So I went and did it. Mm -hmm. And when I did, I was surrounded by security and they essentially was like, you are handling sterling goods. I was like, well, here you go. Oh, no. (laughs) Here you go. Okay, so I was like, okay, here you go. I'm not about that life. You can go ahead and mm-hmm. take it. I didn't think anything of it. He was arrested. He was a charge for, with theft. And I think that was when I was like, okay, look, we're going to do something about this. <laughs> I'm not about mm-hmm. this life. Yeah, um, definitely. Several weeks later, I was at work and I was... I got a call from reception telling me that the police were there to see me. I was arrested on my job, taken to the police station for receiving stolen goods. So I called my mama. <laughs> I was like, look, you're gonna go get me a lawyer. Like, uh, I don't even know what's happening here. Like, I'm in my cell for a couple of hours and the sergeant came and was like, I don't know who you are, but you need to go out to the front. So they handcuffed me, took me back out to the front. My mama was there. Mm. <laughs> like, 
of all like you could have kept me in the cell for this so I sat down behind the glass and she said to me why do you love everybody else more than you love yourself out of sheer frustration and I'm sat there like well damn how do you too, mama? <laughs> <laughs> like, but I will say that rhetorical question mm. changed my life because it made me realize, wait a minute, like the reason why I'm here is because of my decisions. Like, let's just keep it real, right? Mm-hmm. I may not have still anything. But if I hadn't gone there that day, knowing that something was off, I wouldn't be in this position. Had I not stayed in this relationship with this man, I wouldn't have been in this position. Had I chose myself first, I wouldn't have been in this position. And I had to take ownership of that. As hard as it was, because let's keep it real, that statement was like a Mike Tyson body blow. But... I couldn't have run from myself. All that was left was to go back to my sow and sit on the mat because there was no cot. Like sit on the mat on the floor and stare at a metal toilet and contemplate why I'm actually in this position in the first place. I was in charge. It was literally a fishing exposition, I guess. They figured, okay, if we arrest you, you'll give us all the information that we need to know. And I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know. So the first thing that I did when I was released from jail was call that coach. Mm. Because I realized that if I didn't change the way that I was operating... I would probably end up behind bars. Like, I'll be the girl knowingly taking a bag that's full of drugs. You know what I mean? Like, because I just love this person so much. So I started yeah. working with this coach. And one of the things that she made me realize was that I was sitting in victimhood. Like, I had gotten so comfortable with the story that I was telling myself. Like, where is me? My parents didn't love me enough. Where is me? You know, this man took advantage of me. Where is me? He stabbed me. Where is me? I was with a man for three years that was married to somebody else. Where is me? I'm in another relationship with a drug addict. But that that victimhood, that story was keeping me stuck. That story was actually me giving away my power. And I got a lot of pride, right? Once I had the awareness that I was giving away my power, like that wasn't, no, that's not giving me my story. <laughs> right. I'm not it's giving like away changing nothing. Changing that narrative. <laughs> right. But it allowed me to see that I had got gotten so comfortable being a survivor that I didn't want anything else from myself and when I look back I see that and you know a lot of us get stuck in survival mode we we don't even realize we're there we start living on autopilot right and that's what I had done literally for a whole decade just walking through life and letting it happen and I, I wasn't gonna do that anymore I absolutely wasn't gonna do that like I'm gonna take charge like I told you I'm a nonconformist, like I'm a rage against the machine. So all you need to tell me is that, you know what, what I'm doing is fitting status quo. And just like that, I'm motivated to change, right? So Mm -hmm. I made a decision to pack up and leave Bermuda. That environment had become very toxic for me. I have been arrested on my job. That's not something that people will forget and let go of. And I needed an opportunity to start fresh with a different mindset. So I moved to mm-hmm. England. England. Okay. Hey, hey. <laughs> and I bought my man with me. <laughs> okay. The good one? The go- Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> okay. 
he was a work in progress. But (laughs) (laughs) he's now been clean for nine years. Okay, okay. He was recovering, okay. Yes, he has now been clean for nine years. We are now Mm. married. We now have two beautiful children together. Mm. Okay, okay. So there is, you know, a, a great and to that portion of my story. I, mm-hmm. I come to England. I really focus on my career. And in less than, in exactly two years, actually, from the time that I s- started working in England, I took a job as the catastrophe manager of a top 10 Lloyds of London syndicate. And for those who do not know, Lloyds of London is the oldest insurance institution in the world. Insurance, the very first insurance deal was done through Lloyds of London. So for me, as a foreign black woman, this was the pinnacle. Like I I flipped the script. Two years ago, I was sitting in a jail cell and now I'm managing a top 10 insurance syndicate as the catastrophe data modeler and manager. Mm, amazing. So amazing. I'm feeling great. I'm like, it's like l- levitating on a magic carpet. Like I feel like, you know, life is great, great, great. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to reiterate, I'm a foreign black woman with the audacity to step into my power. I was a threat that people did not know how to navigate. Mm. And although I was damn good at my job, I wasn't respected, I was undervalued, and I can say that I was used. I built a team single-handedly from scratch. I created the systems and the processes that we used. I hired the team. I trained the team. I managed the team. And I was never outside of that role given an opportunity to, to make a decision. Everything that I did was undermined And then I was left having to clean up the mess. Mm. And I had two kids back to back. My first maternity leave, I was off for six months. And when I came back, I came back to absolute chaos. I spent 18 months cleaning up that mess right in time for my second maternity leave where I took a year. I came back to the exact same position I was in after my first maternity leave. And I told my boss about it. I was like, this is something that we need to address now because if we don't, it's just going to snowball. He didn't listen to me. He undermined me. He ignored me. He dismissed me. And three months later, exactly what I said, what happened, happened to the point where it was huge the chief underwriter was coming down on the problem right like it was a company-wide problem Mm. and I was left having to clean up the mess and I was frustrated and it's worth mentioning that I went back to work angry anyway because six hours after giving birth to my second child I received an email on my personal email account from one of my co-workers addressing acknowledging the fact that I had a child and then proceeding to ask me about work. So that incident gave birth to my business because Mm. that was the most disrespectful thing somebody could have done to me, in my opinion. I had had a three-hour C-section and to get an email three hours later or six hours later, sorry, it was like a... I don't care yeah. about you. I don't care about your family. I don't care about nothing. This is yeah. what's important. Yeah. So can so, you answer this question for me? I know you just had mm-hmm. a baby and all, but <laughs> that's the kind of it. That's like their, their tone. They're like, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. So about. But <laughs> da, da, yeah. da. 
Exactly. Uh, so terrible. on my maternity leave, my second maternity leave, I spent my time thinking about what I could do. What 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 could I do to make money? Because I'm smart. I am super intelligent. I'm not just saying that. It's I'm super intelligent. And here I am building someone else's dreams. Well, I don't even know what mine are, right? Mm-hmm. I was reminded about how much my life changed working with a coach. So I spent my maternity leave building my coaching business with the expectation that I would work until I'm 40 and retire. Give me, you know, some time to build up my business and then I can lay back on the beach and chill out, right? Mm-hmm. But like I said, I go back to work to absolute chaos and fast forward to November of last year or year before, sorry. I'm in a meeting with two white men being absolutely disrespected and I put them in the place and then I got blamed by my boss for being the cause of the tensions on that call. So the very next time that I was at work, I put in my three months notice and I walked mm. away. And I have now spent the last nine months now since I've walked away from my job, building my business, really focusing on helping women rewrite the narratives that allow them to stay in situations that don't serve them, right? Mm -hmm. My main focus is helping women build a solid foundation to their business because I'm a person that wants to see us, us as black women, I'm going to be very straight up about that, put aside the narrative that we've seen for generations that our lives should look like sacrifice so that we can eventually experience joy, right? I watched my mama sacrifice. I watched my granny sacrifice. And I'm, t- listen, I got tired of sacrificing. I want to be happy now, not when I'm 65, not when, you know, my children are grand. I want to be happy now. I'm going to create the life that I want right now. And I've taken everything about me that people find very uncomfortable. So the fact that I'm very opinionated, the fact that I am loud. I don't, look, I'm chatty. I got a mouth. I've got something to say. I've got an opinion. I've got a lot of attitude. But I've taken that and capitalized it on it in a way that has allowed me to build my business with fulfillment and in alignment and has allowed me to connect with other women so they can rewrite the narratives. Like I like to say, I I help women get their mind right so they can see the success and fulfillment that they desire in their lives. And that starts with challenging the narratives. Like I said to you before, I was comfortable being a victim, right? I didn't realize I was comfortable being a victim, but the truth of the matter was that I was. And when I was able to challenge that narrative, that's where my life changed. When I was able to challenge that narrative, I was able to take control. And that's what I want to see for other women. A quote that I use, it's my own quote. I say, walk as if every step you take is about to make an avalanche because you are here to change the world. So... I'm here, creating avalanches wherever I can in my effort to change the world. I love that. I love that. Um, I had an opportunity to really kind of look over your website and everything. And I love that you have this, this um, uh, what you call the, the vibe system. And yes. um, you spell it V-I-B-E, but it's uh, an acronym. So what, tell us a little bit uh, for the listeners, what is that and why is it so um, important um, system for you to use? Mm-hmm. So the vibe system is the system that I use with my clients so they can build a solid foundation to the business and ensure that they are consistently bringing in clients. So vibe stands for visualize, identify, build and embody. Visualize is about getting very clear about your vision for your future. Because when you 
Clarity brings action. And when you are taking aligned action, action that is actually pushing you towards your goals, that's when you start seeing success for yourself. Identify is about identifying not only who your ideal client is, but who you are best suited for. A lot of people, when they come into business, they're so focused on serving someone else that they don't really truly identify what will bring the best transformation or the best out of someone. So for instance, I started off in life insurance. I mean, sorry, (laughs) life coaching. And I've moved into business coaching because my zone of genius is my ability to be analytical. Mm. Although I can help someone in life coaching, me being able to be analytical is what has allowed my clients to have amazing strategy so that they can move forward. So we, we work on what makes you the best person you can be so you can serve someone. And then it's about building, building an irresistible offer, building a personal brand, building a social media following, building a content strategy, all so that you can be bringing people in and converting them. And then embody is about stepping into success now. One of the things that I teach my clients is that if you want success, you have to start showing up as if you already have it. You can't be acting like you're broke if you want to be a millionaire. You can't do it. You have to start acting like that millionaire mama right now and mm-hmm. consider what that looks like. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, you on your website, you also talked about this, this idea of the, um, you said you had to, um, when you first started, you had to take that time to clarify your vision. And what did that entail for you? And why was it so important to do that? I came into business, I came into an industry where there are hundreds of thousands of me, right? Not me in particular, but if someone is looking for a coach, what does make, what does that, how do I stand out? So I adopted people's visions of success. Like if I wasn't making 10K a month, I must be a failure. If I didn't have... 100k followers I must be a failure and that held me back in my business the reason why I wasn't being successful is because that success wasn't aligned with me I didn't want I don't want 100,000 followers in this moment as I'm starting what I want to be is authentic and I had to step back and shut down put on my blinders and learn how to adapt success from my point of view And when I did that, I was successful every day and it helped me build momentum to keep the dream alive and keep it going, right? It's easy to get discouraged when, you know, you're in a group program with people and all of these other coaches are getting tons and tons and tons of clients and you're not. But my vision was, I'm going to make an impact where it most matters. And that's not always quantified by the money that I'm bringing in or the amount of followers that I have. And that changed the way that I showed up in my business. Yes, I, I love that because we you, it's so hard to, ne- you, you get so much information. It's like information overload. You're like, oh, you watch this guru, they're doing it this way, they're doing it this way. But everything doesn't work for you. And I love that you were able to find your your place and your space by taking from this and that and creating your own lane. And that that's what is, you know, the success that, that you're talking about. But, and, and taking it from not just life coaching, but business coaching. Uh, I know you talked about uh, starting when you first started. It was struggle to get clients. Um, why do you think it was a, a struggle in the beginning? The struggle in the beginning, I must say, you know, part of my last role was business development. So I came in with a bit of an ego, like I've been doing this for five years. Mm. You know, I ran this successful team. I know know what I'm doing, right? I got this. (laughs) I knew nothing, girl. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But what changed for me was when I slowed down and took things back, right? 
I was mm-hmm. so quick to just want to get on. You know, you have all these gurus telling you about overnight success. And as a person who is result-driven, um, um, high, a high achiever, it was a huge crush to my ego coming into mm. business. Because I wanted that overnight success. Like, why wouldn't I have it? I'm intelligent. I, I'm the shh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so really truly getting clarity on the early parts like really focusing on not skipping over the market research not making assumptions about my ideal client not just throwing out courses and products and services thinking that people are just gonna buy in because I'm amazing but Mm -hmm. really doing the groundwork right I learned in this process that I don't have to be a racehorse I could be a horse that pulls the carriage on a farm because business is farming, right? What gets you through business is trusting that every seed you plant will eventually bring you a harvest and ensuring that you do everything you can to nurture the soil while you're waiting for it to grow. And that was an important lesson for me to learn. And that's something that I try to instill in my clients. You know, it is easy to come into this and get frustrated, which is why 82% of people don't make it past a fresher. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if you could just trust the process and be intentional with your actions so that the seeds that you're planting will reap the right harvest. I love that. You'll be successful. Yes, yes. Reaping the right harvest. Everything is not for you. But when you find out what is for you and doing it your way, it the success will come. The the, the, the satisfaction will come. The, everything will start to come to you and it'll start to click. That's amazing. So what advice would you give aspiring women entrepreneurs who are looking to branch out for the very first time in, in, in coaching? What would you What would you say to them? We are here to make an impact, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have a belief that you can do something to change someone's life, even if it's just one person, you're being selfish by doubting your ability and allowing yourself to get caught up in a narrative that's going to keep you from making the impact because someone is out there Waiting for the solution, the transformation that only you can provide. Yes, I love that. You and what a transformation you have been. You have went through so much at such an early age and you've come so far and you're still climbing and it's just so wonderful to just i feel like i'm on this journey like i started i don't know i, I just feel like i'm like yes climb you can you got this girl you, you got the you got the guy you got this career your your career that you created you got the beautiful children and now you're just like okay you know if if you knew then what you know now if you could speak to your 14 year old self what would you tell her? I'm going to be honest with you, Nikki. I don't like this question. And let me tell you why. I am so grateful for the woman I am today. Right? And oftentimes when people answer this question, they'll go back because they want to change something. They want something, some part of their life to be different. If I had a conversation with that 14-year-old, I would tell her that I love you. And I believe that that would have made a huge difference in my life. But I also believe that I wouldn't be who I am today. So I'm mute to the 14-year-old because I had to walk this journey so that I could be sitting here with you today, sharing my story with your audience, and hopefully inspiring someone to check their mindset so they can see the success and fulfillment they desire. 
I know you didn't like the question, but I loved your answer. I just want to say that because I think that's something that needed to be said and needed to be heard. And that is amazing. Oh my gosh, you have been such a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank um, you so much for having taking me. Us, yes, and taking us on this journey. Um, usually I like to do what we called a random round of questions where I just ask just some random questions just to, you know, usually sometimes we talk about heavy stuff just to lighten the mood and just so um, the listeners can get a little sense of you. So random round question number one, what do you do to relax? So, I <laughs> am a Disney fanatic. I love Disney. <laughs> so, me and my girls, we sing Disney soundtracks to the top of our lungs for hours on end. And that is so relaxing to me. It just fills my soul. It gets me into a high vibe energy. It is like the best thing ever. And either that or... Sleeping, girl. If I could sleep and get paid too, I'll be a sleeping student, girl. <laughs> I feel you on that. And yes, who doesn't love a good Disney song? I I, I have to uh, get Disney Plus so I can. Everybody's been talking about Encanto. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I just heard it was just transforming and it was just an amazing story. So I just definitely got to check that out. Start with surface pressure. Anyone that's watched it and knows surface pressure, let me tell you, when I say I was in my feelings listening to that song, I was like, oh my gosh, this girl's like, what? So Aww. look, go on YouTube, listen to surface pressure, send me a message when you listen to the lyrics and let me know what you think. <laughs> I will, I will, definitely, definitely. Uh, let me see, what's another one? Okay, so what are three people who have been the most influential to you? Short disclaimer, in case I miss out anyone, it's not because of a lack of love. <laughs> <laughs> right? I understand that disclaimer. Because people are like, what okay. about me? I thought I was influential in your life. <laughs> My mother, because obviously I am here, right? I'm mm -hmm. here because of her and we have an amazing relationship now. My grandmother, she is... Whoo, she is my heart, my whole heart. And I'm going to lump my children into number three. Okay. Yeah. Can't choose between them. <laughs> yeah. So. They're just one whole. My babies. I yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Every time I, when I think of big grandma, I always think about um, the song, uh, Grandma's Hands. Ah, oh, that that song gets me every time. It's just mm -hmm. anybody's grandma. Just I hear that song and just like, oh, oh the waterworks. Um, last question. Um What? Um, nah, I don't want to ask that question. I'm going to do a different question. I'm going to go off the grid. <laughs> um, let me see. I think I kind of... What is... I, well, you kind of told me what makes you smile. Um, what is a chance encounter that changed your life? That's a good question. London is a very big place mm -hmm. and when I had gotten my last role, super excited but I needed some guidance, there was a woman that I was working with um, in Bermuda in the insurance, my the very first insurance company that I worked with and she was a woman that not many people liked and <laughs> I can get along with anybody. Like, I'm just that person. And I tend to like the people that people don't like because mm -hmm. I'm often misunderstood. So I had always connected with her. So when I was working in London, I used to have knee-length dreads. And one day walking to the train station, someone pulled my dread. And I was oh. ready to turn around and throw down, okay? Because <laughs> people have these habits of touching your Don't touch my hair, right? Mm -hmm. And I see that it's this woman halfway around the world that I used to work with. We actually worked in the same building. Oh, okay, um, okay. So <laughs> she ended up becoming a mentor to me. 
And around the same time, we both went into coaching. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always good when you have that person that inspires you. That's Absolutely. amazing. All right. Well, you have been such a wonderful guest. And I just want to thank you again for, for coming on and sharing your story and your journey. And um, if listeners want to get more information about you and about your journey and um, just more about your coaching um, business, coaching business, what can they get information from? Uh, my website is blackrosecoaching.com. Black is spelled B L A. Q-U-E is actually my nickname. My nickname is Black and <laughs> I had to put it in my business, but blackrosecoaching.com and then also blackrosecoaching on Instagram. I spend more time on Instagram than Facebook. So if you want right? to hit me up say hey, yeah, <laughs> hit me up, say hey, and we can have a conversation. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. There's a lot of really good things. Oh, I love, and I just wanted to say, I love your website and I love the color scheme. It's Thank so you. common and I feel so, I feel welcome on your page. Like I feel like I'm just entering this, this a special calm place. And I was like, I'm feeling, I gotta tell her, I really like these colors. So <laughs> make sure you. I point that out. But um, thank you again. Um, I just want to thank everyone for listening, for tuning in. And just remember to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. for a new episode. And remember to hit the subscribe button so that you guys won't miss an episode. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Nikki C. And remember, it's time to get back to dreaming again. And if not now, then when? <laughs>